0: Hello, and welcome to our special series of Green Elephant interviews during March 2021, supporting the annual B Corps month. B Corporations, or B Corps for short, are businesses that meet the highest standards of verified social and environmental performance, public transparency, and legal accountability to balance profit and purpose. Throughout March, we are chatting with key people in companies which have chosen to certify as B Corps and become a force for good. Today, I've been joined by Karen Hoskin from Montagna Distillers. Uh, Montagna Distillers are a female-led Colorado-based spirits company shipping American rum all over the U.S. and around the world. They've been a certified B Corporation for about three years and I guess just recertified or just about to recertify. Um, Karen Hoskin is founder of Montana having previously worked in nonprofits in management and in design and, and Karen has been a rum fanatic for 25 years I understand so uh, welcome to the show Karen.
1: Thank you 32 years actually.
0: 32 years well that's almost as, as many as me because I became a rum fanatic in about Oh, late 90s, I think, when I went to Jamaica. So my first question is, is montagna rum as good as Jamaican rum? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that. So it's so different. Um, yeah.
0: And that was going to be my question. How, what, what is the difference? You know, what, what is it that you do that's different?
1: Well, Jamaican rums are made typically at sea level. So the esters that are produced in fermentation are really different. Mm. So, Macon rums are considered to be high ester rums. Um, okay. they have these beautiful flavor profiles um, that are all about like kind of grassy, dundery um, flavors. My yeah. rums at nine thousand feet in the mountains of Colorado, I can't produce those kinds of. Um, okay. esters. so it's just really different.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I guess a, a lot of the, a lot of the rums I was drinking were. Um, Extremely strong and um, uh, did, didn't, in Jamaica, for sure.
1: didn't
0: didn't really have much flavor to them. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess part of what makes Montagna Distillers run uh, different, and you kind of touched on it there, but I'd like to sort of go into it is is your production process because I think you know from what little I know, it's it has a a completely different production ethos than than other drinks manufacturers I've kind of seen. So do you want to sort of talk to us about your, you know, the way you produce your your rums?
1: Sure. Yeah, we, so I would say one of the things that makes us really different is um, that we produce on Alembic copper pot stills from Portugal. So a lot of pot distilled rum is out there um, hmm. and many types of rum are actually made on column stills, but yeah. our rum is made on a uh, small Alembic copper pot stills, which is okay. a really old tradition of distilling, really yeah. so far back. And,
0: and I think there's some local gin makers that I know that use a similar steel, copper steel from Portugal. So yeah, it's a bit of a very traditional technique, isn't it?
1: It is. And it yeah. also is really common in like the you know Cognac region of France, places like that. Yeah. Um, some of the most beautiful spirits in the world are made that way. Mm but it's a little more rare in rum and what's even more rare is that our stills are open flame, they're direct fire, so we have um, flame under our stills, which is also rare.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow, and, and um, so the, the traditional kind of uh, stills to, you know, do the distilling in and, but I think the whole process um, from, you know, the start of the sugar to the finished bottled drink or the in the glass in the customer's hand at every sort of stage of that it seems that montagna as a company has given thought to you know its its impact um so
1: every every single aspect of the company has been assessed from the perspective of how do we do a better job mm -hmm. not leaving a trail for someone else to clean up in any way being really uh, careful and aware of our impact on the environment on our employees um, and everything from the glass that we use to to bottle the rum to our um, you know our labels our case boxes our collateral printed materials um, how we do events Uh, we we are certified plastic neutral which affects how we do everything not only in our facility but out in the world as well
0: yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, does it start right with the selection of the, do you use sugar beet or sugar cane, not entirely sure exactly how it works, I know it's sugar of some kind, um, does, it, does it start that early on when you're selecting the, the, the crop, do you get involved with that selection and those providers?
1: Yes, all rum is made from sugar cane, um, so my rum is made uh, from sugar cane that comes from Louisiana, family farmers that I work with directly, And they are um, friends, you know, that we've worked together for many years, and uh, they grow non-GMO sugarcane that's machine harvested, not burned in the fields, really meets an incredibly high air and water quality standard in the Mm. U.S., and it's quite close to my distillery, so a lot of people think, oh, you know, rum in the mountains of Colorado, how weird, but I'm as close to my sugarcane growers as many rum distillers in the world are.
0: Yeah, and I guess it reduces the miles and the transport and the, the, carbon of those that 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 transport that be required to bring the product into your, into your facility. Yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned the 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 bottles and the glass. I mean, um, uh, do you have a specific type of glass? Have you done some work on 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 the the bottle and the recycling of the bottles and that that kind of thing?
1: Yes, we use actually the world's first ever certified cradle-to-cradle glass manufacturer. Okay. Um, it's really an amazing certification, a little similar to B Corp, except yeah. instead of for the company, it's for the product line. Um, yeah. So cradle-to-cradle basically means that they're looking at every step in the manufacturing process from the beginning of the making of the glass to the recycling of the glass, to make sure that it's, uh, stewarded from top to bottom um so we only buy glass from this one company and they're the as far as i know they're the only cradle to cradle certified glass manufacturer in the world
0: yeah amazing and, and one of our other guests has talked about this cradle to cradle certification it certainly sounds like something that would sit brilliantly alongside uh, the b corps uh, certification and uh, but it's a really interesting space because we were speaking to another uh, food Food producer who has decided not to use glass because of the uh, additional weight involved in transporting a huge volume of glass and so they've gone for recycled plastic because it's a lot lighter and therefore the carbon needed to transport it is a lot less so it's a
1: which is true but you put a high proof alcohol like 80 proof alcohol or higher um into plastic especially recycled plastic and you have a sol- solvent yeah that's not so good for uh the consumer on the other end drinking plastic so i think there's it's always that careful game of weighing and balancing what what works and doesn't work and what actually has the impact that we're looking for
0: yeah yeah it's always it's always a balance isn't it between between your ideal and what's practical and there's always you you do the best you can and you with I guess it's it's the sort of thing where you're always striving to be better in the knowledge that you're probably never going to be perfect
1: exactly I was just speaking last night in Denver well in Golden Colorado to a group of engineering students from School of Mines which is a big engineering school in the U.S. and uh, that was exactly I was telling them that to me it's like holding a a basket of little tiny octopuses and like one will jump out over here and I'll grab for it and while I'm grabbing for it two more jump out over here and I just constantly feel like I'm wrangling these little tiny pieces of my sustainability plan and sometimes things are going great and sometimes things you know end up being challenging and I never know yeah. what it's going to be but the, the key for me is just allowing for the challenge and knowing that it's that, that that's part of the process and yeah. staying with it never giving up
0: yeah yeah, yeah yeah and and I think I read that you you know you do quite a bit of work in carbon offsetting so you know that you understand there's an impact in some of the activities and then you you do quite a bit of offsetting work well, what sort of offsets do you use and how does that fit in with you
1: So um, one of the things that's been important to me is, um, you know, I I don't want to just send some money to a random carbon offsetting partner. It's, you know, I want to know what the project is that I'm offsetting and how it works, and physically actually go visit. Um, So I am working with TerraPass in the U.S., which is a company that has very identifiable, specific carbon offsetting programs, projects, and we are we have two different. Undertakings with them. One is the Arcata Community Forest, which is here in the U.S. in California, and it's a forest that's designed to pull much more um, carbon out of the atmosphere than most forests. Um, so it's really designed for the purpose of carbon offsetting. So we financially participate in the stewardship and the expansion of that forest. Um, we also work on co- methane carbon capture in cal- in Colorado. So landfills that are emitting methane um, being covered with capturing uh, technology which then they pull the methane into the production of energy um, so it doesn't go into the atmosphere which methane is a sort of under considered um, yeah. aspect of carbon pollution in general yeah. so, um, and we calculate through these very complicated spreadsheets all of the carbon from our incoming freight to our outgoing freight to our you know stills and how we fire our stills to heating our facilities um the cars we drive the airplanes we used to travel on yeah. <laughs> still, still will be traveling on um yeah. and you know we we definitely work through all those numbers and calculate the total gigatons of of carbon that we are personally involved mm. in production of and then make sure we more than offset it through TerraPass and
0: our partnership. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what I love about that, Karen, is, is we have we've, we've spoken to a lot of B Corps who are, uh, they're, they're doing offsetting, but they they're quite focused on their supply chains and they, and they know who makes all their materials and where they're sourced from, and they they spend a lot of time in that space. But I don't think I've spoken to anybody that has spent a similar amount of time in the offsetting space where they can go and visit and they know what's happening and they can kind of almost see and touch the offsets. And I think that's, you know, if I, if I was listening to this, I'd be thinking, well, how do I go and see and touch my offsets that I'm contributing to? So I, well, I think- Well, we that's...
1: also, we have a partner company, which is called the Ganesha Cookstove Project. Um, okay. And that project is providing a, a carbon offsetting cook stove to much of the developing world where many people, billions of people are actually cooking on three rock stoves, Mm. um, which are not only hard on the lung capacity of the primarily women who are cooking on them. Um, So these these stoves have gasification. They're available through carbon offsetting for $5 each um, in Nepal and Myanmar and countries like that. Um, And that's a pet project of ours. Um, that kind of grew right out of Montana actually yeah, yeah. and, and we' you know that's been a really kind of very tangible way to, to understand how carbon offsets even work to begin with because I think a lot of people don't even know how that works. you know how do you become a certified carbon offset project and yeah buyers of the carbon offsets and the sellers of the carbon offsets it's a complicated business
0: it is absolutely no that's i mean we'll we'll look that up and we'll, we'll put some links to those things in the in the show notes for people to to, to check that out i've not heard of those though so I'll, I'll, I'll go and go and look at them as well and um i mean i also saw just sort of you know finishing up on the production process that you do or you generate most or i don't know if it's all of your own uh, energy by using uh, wind is is you know, what was the thinking behind that? Because that's not a, an easier or a cheap thing to do to start with, I guess.
1: Well, um, th- that is also a partnership. So we live in okay. a valley and operate the business in a valley that is sort of perpendicular to the Colorado wind flow, which okay. makes it actually difficult for us to generate it in our on our own facilities, although we do have some solar power that we operate um, mm. on our own facilities. But we we partnered with a company called Arcadia, um, who has some of those big um, wind generators near our facilities in Colorado, and they are selling back to us 100% green energy for our company. So um, yes, it's 100%, but we don't generate it all ourselves. Someday we hope to. Um, It's in the goals of the company, but in the meantime, this is a good, solid partnership, and it's Yeah, Uh, It meets the highest standards for the Audubon Society and all the various uh, folks that have their, you know, have interest in how wind power is generated as well.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, again, it's about doing what you can rather than perfection. And um, it's a great way to. um, I want to talk about diversity now, because International Women's Day on Monday. I don't know if you've noticed, but in in the, the B Corp interviews we've released this week. They've all been with women. We've been talking about period poverty. We've had strong female leaders from, from B Corps. B Corps as a whole are, are doing, you know, bucking the trend. I think it's it's about 40% of B Corp leaders are women. So compare that with other business, and it's doing remarkably well. But even all that said, what I gathered from Montana is that you are doing even more than you know everybody else in this space. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on on diversity and what your approach is to it?
1: Well, I mean, I think of diversity in so many different ways from, you know, gender to ethnicity to, you know, color and age. And Mm. um, so it's been a priority for me for a long time. I live in a county in Colorado that is 98% white. And I didn't move here because it was 98% white. I moved here because I'm a serious backcountry enthusiast i back to ski i hike i backpack i do all the things yeah. and this is like a heavenly spot for that um, but i was distressed by the homogeneity of my community um, 10 years ago yeah. um, and really went kind of into this so i work in an industry that's primarily male um, when i started 13 years ago i was a, that i could find one of two craft distillers in the United States. Um, there were a few more in the rum world, you know, in other countries. Yeah. Um, but, so um, I just really felt uncomfortable with it. And I thought, well, I can sit around and wait, which is what a lot of people do. They say, I'm just, you know, I'm not getting applicants. So how am I supposed to hire someone if I don't have any applicants? Mm. Um, I made a real, very conscious effort to recruit and train and build equity within the company um, and and make a home for people who um, might otherwise in my community not feel so represented. Um, And so we are only 75% white in my company and our leadership team is 60% female. And in our leadership team, we're about 40% of color. Um, And we've just worked really hard and It's been one of the most satisfying things because then this year, when the hash, you know, when BLM um, activism kind of became more of a thing, we were not only well positioned to talk about those issues publicly, but we weren't in conflict with ourselves. We weren't like championing something we'd never done anything about.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I'm I'm really interested because uh, our company is based in a in a location in the UK, which is probably even more than 98 percent white and so you know there's no excuse excuse for the male female equation but in terms of finding those ethnic minorities you know they're they're not in in our in our region and it sounds like you had some so did you go outside of region to find them did you specifically go to a, a city or another area to find these people and bring them in or how did you how did you do that
1: you know, it's such a good question. Sorry, the light went off. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's like an motion sensor. Um, we, um, so it's a really good question because that was my presumption as well that I lived in a community that didn't have a community mm. of color. Um, and, you know, we, we were nine years out from recently from a census. So I didn't really, generally, I couldn't know because all mm. the data were old. Um, so I actually literally just started finding people of color in my community, not just to hire them, but to work with them and be an activist with them and find out what their priorities were. And it was astounding to me how many people were in my own community that I didn't know, Mm. that people didn't know. And they were kind of flying a little bit under the radar because it's not a, I learned over time, my community is not fabulously welcoming, um, and that we had to work on that too. And so, um, you know, I found, a, so I run a bar and restaurant, and I found a local chef. And we became friends, and then we talked over a period of, of years, months, and eventually when I had an opening, she moved over and came to work for Montanya. And she's okay. now my head chef um, and she's South African and just brings an incredible vibrancy to our, our kitchen. Yeah. Um, so
0: it wasn't so much finding people when you had a role, it was more about building those connections in that community before there was any opening. And then just to improve your understanding of, you know, if there was an opening, then who might be out there. Um, so.
1: and, and then on top of that, Paying people properly, building yeah. building a whole kind of system, benefits, and um, you know, making sure that they can have housing in my very expensive mountain town community, and yeah. so it's not just about recruitment and uh, getting someone in the door. It's like a yeah, whole, um, it's
0: a it's a really, a really interesting thing you say that because you say we need to pay them properly and make sure they're well looked after, and. I think as b corps sometimes we we take that those sorts of things for granted we think well just doesn't every business just do that anyway and and we forget that they, they don't and you know of course you pay them more than the living wage of course you ensure they've got flexible working arrangements of course you make sure they've got all the equipment and facilities and the training and the support they need that's just what you do but we, we forget
1: when they come to me i get to hear the stories about their past employment mm. situations yeah, i gave yeah. a raise to one of my black employees recently because he uh, became forklift certified which means you know it's an osha certification in yep. the u.s to, for safety yep. and he was just so flabbergasted and i was like why are you so flabbergasted that i'm giving you a raise you did an advanced training you learned something you did it really on your own Um, and he just said, you know, nobody's ever done that for me. And, uh, and especially not without me feeling like I had to ask. And a lot of times, you know, he was like, I never really felt like I could ask. So that was really a wake up call for me that I have to be extra on top of, um, making sure because from a cultural perspective, especially my immigrant employees. So I have another Ghanaian, uh, first generation immigrant she was raised in a family where you do everything in the U.S. just to blend in, you don't mm. distinguish yourself or raise your head. Um, you especially don't advocate for the rights of um, Americans or black uh, residents of the U.S. because that's just, that's just dangerous to you. And so I've learned so much about what kinds of um, cultural differences there are that are contributing to labor and workforce uh, situations that i have to remedy and address
0: yeah yeah and, and i guess moving on from that it, it, i guess transparency must be very important uh, within the things that you do because you know without all, all the employee stuff all the sustainability and you know the, all that stuff it kind of relies on 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 transparency i, I guess do you, do you have a particular uh, approach to transparency or is it just you know something that you you just do
1: well, we just did actually this year for the first time our, an impact report. So it was a it was a report that covered everything in the company from our plastic to our um, you know I, it's almost like you know the nutrition labels on the side of a um, yeah. of a product. I am starting to think about creating a nutrition label. Only it's a sustainability label for everything my company does. Yeah, um, so that we are. Really working hard to tell everybody. Like, if you want to know where this came from and where it went and how it's handled, um, you don't have to. You don't have to wait and try to ask someone a question. It's all right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I wanted to add one more thing to the diversity conversation sure. because um, we. I live in a ski town in Colorado up in the yeah. Rockies at 9,000 feet. Um, there's a J1 program here, which is where. Um, people from around the world who want to learn to speak English or they want to kind of prepare for going to, to college in the US or something they can get into this j1 program and come and work for me on j1 visas okay. um, and we have a we have a j1 program so we've had Kurdish asylum seekers and and Jamaican um, residents and things like that come and work for us because they because um, they come through that program it's awesome yeah. and we Pay them more than most J ones get paid, which
0: is also awesome. So. Yeah, that no, sounds amazing, and, and exactly the sort of thing that we will we will promote. We will clearly link it in the show notes for this for this um, recording, but we'll 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 push that out there because those those programs are uh, are amazing. Um, I guess c- carrying on on the 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 transparency, the impact report. I guess that's where kind of B Corps come in because. You know, if you're a B Corp, anybody can go and see your score and see how you did um, in in any area. Really, can't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's there for everybody to see. I,
1: I like it. I like it when they do that because we are a Best for the World overall company as well, which is right. top 10% of B yeah. Corp. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's an amazing achievement in itself because, you know, most people don't. I think the the statistic was, you know, 100,000 people start the assessment, yet only 4,000 have actually been certified. So, you know, most people don't even meet the grade. So not only meet the grade, but to get in the top 10%, uh, that's an amazing uh, achievement. So, uh, yeah, congratulations on on that. Um, Why why was it that you chose to go down the the B Corps route? Was there something about it that you thought, yeah, this is is for
1: us? Absolutely. I... um... I would say I'm a skeptic. Okay. I don't necessarily want a product or a company to tell me about their sustainability because you can just smoke and mirrors that all day long. You can yeah. say, you know, and I, I experienced it. I visit a lot of craft distilleries and I sit on panels internationally. I was recently on a sustainability panel in the UK um, and it's interesting to me to hear what other people do and really what they don't do. Is almost as telling. And so um, I'm a skeptic. I don't want to hear necessarily what you say. I wanna know what the B Corp says. Mm. Uh, I want a third party look at everything that you do and um, and and that balancing between not just I have a solar panel over here or you know, we have a, a beehive in the back or something. Yeah. I wanna know like your governance and your banking relationship and your, um, you know, whether you're using GMOs or not, or just all of that stuff is important to me. So I know I can pop into the B Corp directory, if I want to buy a pair of wool socks <laughs> and I can search socks yeah. and I'll find out which company I'm going to buy my socks from, because it takes the guesswork out for me for sure.
0: Yeah. No, amazing. And certainly, um, that's what we do we like to work with uh, other b corps if we're going to choose a supplier or find somebody we want another b corp because it's as you say that independent verification that they are doing or trying to do the right thing they're doing many of the right thing and and i guess they're trying to improve which brings me on to kind of have, have you just recertified or are you just about to go through it whereabouts are you
1: we are in the process so okay. our research happens in september um but as you know it's best not to wait until the last minute um there's a whole since we certified the first time there's a whole new um questionnaire so but the, the bottom line is that it's not a chore for us we're tracking all the data we're um documenting all the relationships and you know our significant suppliers are certified before we start to do business with them so it's not um it's just not a hard process for us. I think it would be if I wanted to figure out like what should I do to be good, then I would find it a, a very onerous process. But for us, it was like, we were already doing all these things. And then to get into that B Corp cert and have them just say, yeah, that's you're on the right track. And of course, everything can always be better. So one great example of that is that we had commercial composting available to us when I certified as a B Corp. Um, and that company that was doing it went out of business about a year and a half ago. And I was just completely at, at a loss because I, we, I run a bar and restaurant. We produce bio waste from mm-hmm. the bar and restaurant. We produce bio waste from the distilling process. And I had nowhere to send it. And it was going to the landfill, which was completely unacceptable. To me. So I bought a biodigester and installed it on site. And now we run 80 pounds a day. I mean, I think in the last couple of weeks, we've run about 800 pounds of bio waste through our own biodigester. Um, it was maybe one of the best investments I've ever made. I work mm. with a company called Power Knot and, um, and I can look at an app and see how much bio waste we've processed and it turns it in 24 hours, it turns that 80 pounds into fertilizing gray water. Um, so we can either use it to, you know, put into vessels for people to take for their flower gardens or their um, their gardens, or we can wash it down the drain without any impacts to the, um, you know, to the water
0: supply. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting um, uh, perspective on it, Karen, because most of the bee corps we've spoken to have said that um, it's you know, there's a, I guess there's a lot of work and it's quite challenging to certify and then to uh, recertify and which is a slightly different perspective to you who were saying, well, it's straightforward because this is what we do. Um, is, is the improvement straightforward as well? Do you think, you know, getting better is, is, you know, something that's been challenging or has that been easy because of things you've done or?
1: Um, well, it's interesting because I went to the B Corp um, the conference in 2019, I guess, in summer yep. of 2019. They didn't have one in 2020, sadly. Yep. Um, and that was such an eye-opener for me because it helped me to really see like what I'm not doing and how mm. Like the CEO of Patagonia spoke at that gathering and yep. I just thought, oh my, I was so inspired. Sitting in the audience, like tears streaming down my yeah, face. Yeah. There's so much more, there's just always more. and mm-hmm. Um, and so my, what I would call my, um, you know, my plan for improvement has, I feel like it's been relatively easy because of being, I call it the back room of the B Corp. You know, you become certified and then you're let in through the back door and you're like, there's this whole world (laughs) back there of all these companies that are doing such cool stuff. And I don't feel that camaraderie with my industry fellow owners. Um, there's yeah. so few B Corps in the craft spirits world and spirits world in general. Mm. So when I am with them, I don't feel that sense of camaraderie around focusing on sustainability and equity and um, social responsibility. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, um, I, I find that to be the most fun part. My, my HR person is now participating in the B people which is all you know this group of people in the world of b corps and so i could go on for days but no i I just live in the land of like oh i should be doing that
0: (laughs) yeah i i I can completely concur karen the the community is amazing and you do just feel um you feel at home with like-minded people who are you know aspiring to the, the things that you're aspiring to and um yeah thoroughly recommend any listeners just just get involved get on the journey it's um it's amazing and it's uh yeah worth all the all the time and effort that you put into it um Karen we're asking all our guests if they've got a a tip or an action or something they can suggest for listeners to go away and do so if there was if there was one thing you would suggest to listeners to say yeah go go away and do this or or try this what what would that be
1: you know I've thought a lot about this question in in my life in general um Hmm. because there's so much variety out there of like different types of businesses and different types of priorities and things. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess I would say that what you, the word you used is really salient right to this conversation, which is the journey. Um, I, I just always tell people when they ask me, like don't think of it as a destination. Um, becoming a, a company that is um, know, sustainable and and has these this type of ethos, it's not a destination. You're never gonna get there. And so Mm. because sometimes people throw up their hands and they're like, I'm never gonna do enough. And then I try to do this and then this person says, Well that's not good. You know, that happened to me when we first went hundred percent wind powered. My social network blew up with um, you know, but the birds and the you know all the stuff. And (laughs) always some kind of way in which you're gonna feel defeated. Um, and so I'm a like a geeky researcher. Um, I if someone says to me that's not a that's not a good outcome, um, that's not a good sustainability plan. It's a kind of um, on the surface of it, it looks good, but it's not actually good. Yeah. I'm gonna go deep on that and research and talk to experts and try to figure out like is this really truly sustainable? Um, no. Because there is a lot of stuff out there that it's just. Robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, And I also really look at it as a timeline. It's like something upfront might not be nearly as good as it's going to be over a 10 year payoff. So, all the solar power that I just did, you know, people are like, yeah, but it takes so much energy to produce solar power, solar panels. And I thought, you know, yes, if you're going to use them for a year or two, um, that is absolutely true. But if you're going to use them for 10 years, their payoff is so radical and so you just have to think in hmm. different timelines sometimes too yeah yeah so and i also tell people that it's not as expensive as you think like that's the number one hurdle that i hear from people is i just i want to be more sustainable but i can't afford it i'm like what what are you looking at for numbers because again you have to put things on a timeline um and and look at the whole impact of, of something so something might cost a little more upfront but it's going to pay off over
0: time, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I I would say to those people who say they can't afford it, I would say you can't afford not to because more and more customers are saying, we will only buy from companies that are demonstrating their sustainability or their environmental credentials. And so the move is happening. The shift is starting. You, You either get on and start the journey, as you say, start the journey now, or you're going to have to do it in five or 10 years anyway, so you might as well get started now.
1: Um, exactly, and I have two kids, you know, I, um, this is actually kind of a funny story. So I have <laughs> a, 20, a 21 and a 23 year old. Okay. And, um, I My son, I was with him recently, my older son, who has just started this amazing company called Hoskin Capital, which is all sustainable investment, and he's okay. created his own, Portfolio of sustainable investments, and he handed me his business card, which was a reusable business card that you just tap on an iPhone or you scan the QR yeah. code on a on a Android. And yeah. I just was like, I didn't even know that existed. You know, I'm always learning, and mm-hmm. so now my whole staff has reusable business cards. Yeah. Um, they cost nine dollars a piece, and yeah. um, you know and, and instead of having to go back to the office and enter everybody's information you just bam it's yep. like right in contacts so
0: yeah they're, they're they're great things and um, yeah save an awful lot of waste uh, yeah brilliant but
1: the reason i mentioned that is because I, i'm doing it for my kids to some extent they're going to inherit the world that i leave behind and mm. i don't want to be mortified that i participated in the ruination of their yeah. environment
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Karen, we also ask our guests if there's a if there's a book or a, or a film they would recommend for listeners. You know, something to to read. Is there? A, have you got anything that you could suggest?
1: Well, I the book that I want to recommend. I'm not sure your policy about um, using a somewhat of an expletive on your show. You can leave no, it. No,
0: you you carry on. It doesn't matter. We've had all sorts of recommendations so far away.
1: Well. The book that changed my life was called The No Asshole Rule. Yeah, um, okay. And it's, you know, it's interesting because um, it, it's not my favorite book, quite honestly. It's it's a nonfiction, business-focused book, and yeah. generally I'm a reader of fiction, I love science fiction, et cetera, but, um, but it gave me this tidbit that I put into action in my life that has been radically life-changing, which mm. is... That if I think that people that I'm working with are going to just wake up some morning and be like, oh, Karen was right, you know, <laughs> or like people that I'm at odds with over business practices or um, that are angry at me because I'm making them look bad when I talk about sustainability in mm. the world publicly um, or making their company look bad, even if I don't mention them because they're having challenges with sugarcane grower yeah. health and well-being or you know pollution being dumped into the ocean from their distilleries or whatever um i i just learned that there i'm not going to impact them i'm not going to change anyone um and i stopped trying to convince anyone of anything um and that was a real life change okay. for me because it makes it a lot more palatable to speak about these issues when people don't feel like you're trying to like be an evangelist to them
0: yeah yeah okay Oh, that's interesting. We'll find that. I've not I've not heard of the No asshole rule myself. I will. We will look it up. We will link it in the show notes. And um, yeah, great. I mean, it's, it's great to have different uh, suggestions and and things that are not, you know, just about, uh, you know, uh, environmental sustainability all the time. It's good to have some different options. Um, Karen, great. We're going to get on to facts or fake in a minute. But if anybody wants to find out more about yourself or Mantanya Distillers, um what, what's the best place to get hold of you is it via the website
1: um yeah rum.com for okay. sure uh, montanya is spelled with a y so um, yep. i'm sure you'll put it in the show notes yeah. um i also have a website called karen hoskin.com that's more specific to my own work across a several different uh okay. company platforms and public speaking types of things and then also um yeah, I think uh, my LinkedIn is very vibrant as well, and yeah. so that's a great way to. It's not necessarily a great way to message me, but it's a great way to connect. And all my contact info is. In sure,
0: there. brilliant. Okay, well, well, as you say, we'll put those on the show pages. So, so listeners, if you're interested in in rum or interested in what Karen's talked about, then then you know, uh, make the connection and um, and find out more. So now it's time for uh, fact or fake, where we have uh, some statements and. And today it's all about rum, because we are talking about rum. So, so I've got three statements about rum, and I'd like you to tell me whether they are a fact, they're true, or they're a fake, whether I've made them up. So are you ready, Karen?
1: Yeah.
0: Great. So the first one is, um, some of the many other names for rum are Nelson's Blood, Kill Devil, Demon Water, Pirate's Drink, Navy Neaters, and Barbados Water. That, that is true. And, 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 I, and I love some of these. I mean, Kill Devil, Nelson's Blood. Apparently, they they um, preserved Admiral Nelson's body in rum to, while they were transporting it back home. Uh, so there's some, <laughs> there's some really interesting origins with those names.
1: There's another part of that story, though, which is that they preserved him in a cask of rum that was filled with rum. but By the time it got back to England, it was empty. They actually... <laughs> The sailor, by mistake, drank all the rum in that barrel oh. that had Elton's body in it. Mm. Yep. Dear.
0: <laughs> mm. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the next one is: um, in in the 1800s, rum was used as a beauty product for its ability to clean hair and strengthen its roots. Is that I, a fact or is it a fake?
1: I think that might be a fake but I don't
0: know. I've, no, it's it's actually true. Uh, true. Rum was the go-to beauty product because it cleaned hair and, and strengthened roots. So um, if, if you run out of shampoo, Karen, then you've obviously got you know plenty of spare to um, <laughs> clean your hair with.
1: I learn something every day of my life right
0: there. And finally, um, uh, the last one is uh, India is the world's largest market for rum. Is that a fact or is it a fake?
1: Oh, uh, I believe that is a fact. Um, but it may be um a little bit further east. Um, but I do I think that's a gosh. Good question. Um I'm gonna say possibly fact, yes.
0: Yeah, well done. You you win two one. Uh, India. I mean not the country I would first think of, but um the world's largest market for rum is in India. Um and i think they they made some early sugar based rum like drinks you know hundreds of years ago but and now they still they still like rum so um, yeah i don't know if you're selling rum to india but maybe that's an opportunity for you
1: <laughs> india is where i discovered rum um, okay i had had bacardi and other types of rum before that but i yep. went to india and i was sitting on a beach in goa and i was served my first taste of aged rum from a company called Old Monk which is an Indian rum maker and although okay. it's not my absolute favorite rum now it's it's near and dear to my heart because um it began my love affair with rum back in 19, January of 1989 I'll never forget it. Having Lim- that, I've been thinking,
0: yeah and know, I guess your abs- your absolute favorite rum now is Montagna um.
1: <laughs> you know it weirdly it is and I'm yeah. not just that it's because i worked really hard to create a rum that filled the niche that i didn't um that i couldn't find mm, yeah uh, but i have a lot of other favorites too
0: great well I, I look forward to finding some montagna in the uk and um and and and, and trying it for myself um we're but
1: signed up, we're signed up with amazon and the whiskey exchange and several other uh, online retailers in the UK. So the Brilliant. easy
0: to Great. Karen, it's been uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed talking about rum. I've really enjoyed talking about the, the diversity piece as well. That's so interesting. And I uh, just want to thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. Nice talking with you as well. See you in Colorado someday, I hope.
0: Yes. We really hope that you found this special B Corp Month episode both informative and entertaining. Make sure you don't miss any of the other 31 interviews with B Corporations who are striving to be a force for good. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. And don't forget to spread the word with others. If you have any questions about being or becoming a B Corp or any comments and suggestions about the show, please do get in touch. You can email studio at greenelephant.show or visit our website at greenelephant.show or find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter by searching for Green Elephant or The Green Elephant Show. You can also review the show on Google and Apple Podcasts. Join us tomorrow, and we hope you have a sustainable day.